Good to be with you again, IPC. We're in our series, The Father's Ten Good Words, studying the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20. And I'll read just the beginning to orient us this morning. And God spoke all these words. The preface, the prologue, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. And today the second one, verse four, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. And this is God's word. I remember when I was first going through puberty, you know, it happens all of a sudden, it's happening to some of my own children now. And suddenly, for me anyway, girls went from being uninteresting, maybe even kind of weird, to very interesting all of a sudden. Suddenly they were amazing. Uh, let me ask you this, what's more embarrassing? You're a teenage boy, okay? To get caught staring at some classmate girls, let's say her legs or something, or to get caught staring in her eyes, Hmm? What's more embarrassing? Okay, both of them would be really embarrassing if you got caught, right? But if the girl is some guy's girlfriend, let's say, and he catches you staring at his girlfriend, maybe he catches you staring at her behind, for example. Am I allowed to say this in church? He might, he might just be proud, huh? Of course you're interested in my girlfriend. My girlfriend is so fine. Of course you're staring at her. But if he catches you staring into his girlfriend's eyes, then he knows that you're not just interested in her superficially, but that you desire her. You're captured not just by her superficial looks, but by her beauty and the mystery of who she is. And you want to know her intimately. This is going to get you beat up on the playground if you get caught staring into his girlfriend's eyes. Well, our passage here says something a little weird. It says that God is jealous. Like a husband or a wife who wants their spouse to have eyes for them only. Or like a good father who doesn't want some creepy guy trying to become his kid's dad. Well, God is jealous for the affections of his spouse. The father is jealous for the affections of his son or daughter. Okay, so what's the good word here? Good words from a good father. For your own good, for my own good, our good father commands his children to worship him, but not by images. No images anywhere is God's good word. Now, images themselves are not bad, of course. Representational art is not bad. It doesn't have to be abstract like this mural here. It can be of a thing, and it's okay to make those things. 
In fact, just a little bit later, God himself will tell Israel, find some artists, and I've got some ideas for the inside of the sanctuary, the inside of the holy place. I'd like some angels, some seraphim, and you can make them of gold, and I want big wings, right? Uh, I'd like some trees in my tabernacle. God likes decorations, and they can be decorations that look like other things. But God says here, don't try to honor me by honoring an image. You can't serve me by serving a picture, a statue. Don't relate to me by using an image as your mediator. Look, the ancient world, as you can imagine, was unpredictable. Armies might come, destroy your city, take off all your stuff, and take your family and your wives with you. Diseases might come and wipe out your village. Rains might not come, and then you've got a famine. Unpredictable world. So what do you do when things are unpredictable, when you want to make them maybe a little more predictable, when you are not in control, and maybe you want to feel just a little bit more in control? Well, the ancient answer to that question, what do you do when you're not in control, is religion. You do religion. If I bow down and I serve a spiritual power that maybe controls the rain, if I show my allegiance to the God who's in charge of army invasions, if I honor the force behind disease, then I might not be able to control rains and armies and diseases, but at least I'll have a good relationship with the power behind those things. And of course, I'll need then something to focus my allegiance on. I'll need to be able to show that power that I'm all for them. And I'll need, therefore, some kind of image. You know, we say it in the business world now, it's not about transactions, it's all about relationships. Build the relationships, maintain the relationships, and then you'll see real power happen. You'll be able to get stuff done. This was the case for ancient religions as well. Maintain the relationship, and you might have something to say about the climate and armies and diseases. Guess, by the way, what other world, other than the ancient world, is unpredictable. Guess what other world is vulnerable to war, to famine, to um, disease? Yeah, that's right. Our world, the one that you're living in right now. And so our father speaks this good word to us today, as well as to the ancient Israelites. Our good, true Lord of heaven and earth says to us, that is the one who's in charge of everything, says to us, even as he says to Israel, Look, I've adopted you as my good children, and I've lovingly established some family rules for us. And one rule is, children, I know that you're vulnerable. I know that this is a broken world in which you live. I know that every other nation in every other culture that are your neighbors. They're all trying to protect themselves and they're carefully maintaining and managing relationships with their various gods who they think control and influence the climate and the military and public health. And they're making images to these gods and they're trying to win the favor of these gods in order to get power and control 
over these unpredictable things. The Lord says, I know, I've seen it. But children, God says, listen carefully. I am both your loving father and the sovereign Lord of all creation. And don't you remember? I have just said it actually in verse one here. I've demonstrated my power to save you from mighty kings by breaking your Egyptian chains. I've shown my power over all creation by humiliating the Egyptian gods who think that they run the whole creation. So, my dear children, don't work on your relationships with false gods. And when you want to relate to me, don't treat me like the gods of this world by representing me with some block of stone or some painting or some piece of wood. There is no image, dear children, that you can serve to try to influence me. And in fact, you already have my saving power and my loving affection. It's yours already. Now, you and I, of course, are not busy burning incense to statues, praying to paintings. And in that way, we're, we're all kind of like good Protestants, right? Yes, but you and I are living, aren't we, in an image-drenched culture. And you and I, if we're honest, we are shifting our allegiances constantly, not really from one politician or celebrity or boss to the next, but from one image of a boss or celebrity or politician to the next. Image is everything, as Andre Agassi used to say. I think if ancient religious people who worshiped and served images, if they could sort of back to the future themselves here to 21st century Zurich, if they visited us, I can imagine them walking down the Bahnhofstrasse. I can imagine them sitting in on some team meetings at Credit Suisse. I can imagine them following us on Instagram. And they would say, wow, this has got to be the most religious culture in history. So many people with so many fears, so many people with so many gods, so many people trying to control their lives by serving image after image after image. But our Father gives us this good word, make and serve no images anywhere. I can't be managed. I can only be heard, loved, served, obeyed, and delighted in. And I've made you, my dear children, my precious people, and I want your hearts, and I want them from generation to generation. So serve no images. You might say, what is God's problem? Like, why doesn't he want to be seen? Is he that shy? Why does he insist on being heard and not seen? You might say, I want to see God. Let's see you. Come on. Come out from hiding. Actually, Moses felt the same way. And 13 chapters later, he's having a conversation with God, and he says, God, let's see. I want to see your glorious presence. And God says, okay, Moses, I'm going to hide you in this little crack in this big rock formation, okay? And I'm going to cover your face. And then once I've passed by with all of my goodness and glory, I'll let you see just the tail end of the backside of the trail of all of my goodness. But you can't see my face. Because if you see my face, 
you're going to die. Now, of course, God doesn't have a literal face. God is a spirit. And that's another reason, by the way, that it's dumb to pray to and serve an image. But the problem is not, of course, God's invisibility. The problem is that we are so messed up and so frail and finite that we simply can't experience the fullness of God's face. It could kill us. But you know what God does? God still wants his glory, his grace, his truth to be displayed and to be seen. He wants to do more than simply pass by us with his goodness and give us a little glimpse of it. As we said last week, we were made for God's glory, to stand in God's presence, to radiate with the effulgence of his glory, and then to reflect it. And so what does God do? He said, before, he said, no images anywhere. Don't pretend you're experiencing me when you're talking to a picture. That doesn't work. But now he also says, one image only. One image only. I'm coming to you with all the fullness of my grace and truth, and I'm going to come to you, this is good news, in a way that won't kill you. My glory would kill you because you're so finite, because you're sinful women and men. I'll clothe you, or rather, I'll clothe myself in human flesh, and I'll move into the neighborhood for a while. My glory would kill you because of your sin, so I'll clothe my glory in grace and truth in my Son, who Jesus becomes, as the hymn Rock of Ages says, becomes that rock that we can hide ourselves in so that we can see God's glory and live to talk about it afterwards. Now, when God was having artists and artisans decorate the tabernacle, as I was talking about earlier, he planned for a golden box to put the Ten Commandments in. He wants to keep them around for a while. And he wanted these angels, like I said, to be put on the box, and they're going to hold their wings up over the top of the box. And this box, of course, is not just a box, but it's meant to be a seat, a throne. But what's on the seat? Well, actually, nothing is on there. There's an empty spot. The throne has no one sitting on it, just the invisible presence of God himself. But when Jesus comes, full of God's own grace and truth, and finally now there's flesh and blood to sit on the throne of God's glory, this seat where the Ten Commandments themselves are sitting and the angels have their wings overstretched, this seat was meant and made for Jesus. And in Jesus, God says, okay, here is finally the one image that can adequately represent me. Here's the one face that you can see, and when you look at his face, you can be completely sure that it's my face that you're seeing, the face of Jesus. Isn't this stunning? On God's throne. One image only you get fit to represent me, God says, and it's my son, Jesus. No images anywhere. Okay, one image, my son, Jesus. Okay, so far, that's true in one sense. But in another sense, I still haven't given you the full truth. Yes, God says no images anywhere. No face represents me. Yes, God says, okay, this one image only, Jesus' face, will be my chosen representation. 
But this was actually not God's original plan. And in fact, God has chosen us, his people, to carry out his original plan. See, Adam and Eve were told on the first page of the Bible were made in God's image. But they failed to represent God's presence and power and glory and grace and truth. And then Israel, a whole nation, was adopted to be God's new son, God's new Adam and Eve. But they failed as well to represent God. And so Jesus comes along, and he's finally the son, the image, the representative that God the Father had always wanted but never quite had, both in Adam and then in Israel. But now God can say, yes, this is my beloved son, as we said last week, whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. Listen to him because he does perfectly represent me. When you see his face, you see mine. When you hear his voice, you hear my voice. But Jesus doesn't just come as God's image in order simply to do it for us, to do the image bearing for us. He does do it for us. He does do what we failed to do, image God perfectly for us. But he does something even more marvelous. He restores God's image in us. He images God, and then he makes it possible for you and for me to pick up where Adam and Israel left off, where they fell off imaging God. It's not that God doesn't want images of him anywhere. That's not his thing. The problem is he doesn't want false images of him anywhere. It's not that God doesn't want to be represented by pictures. It's that he wants to change us so that you and I can actually picture God everywhere. When the whole earth is full of God's glory, it will be precisely because women and men, girls and boys like you and me from every tribe and tongue and nation, we have covered the face of the earth as, in Jesus, restored images of God. And then the Father will be pleased when he can point not just to Jesus, but point to you and to me and say, this is my beloved daughter. This is my beloved son whom I love, in whom I am so well pleased. Listen to her. Listen to him. It will please him so much to say, look, creation, if you want to know me, look at her face. Look at his face. Hear their voice. And through these children of mine, you can come to understand something about my fatherly heart. Why is our God and Father jealous, as this text says, for what our eyes are looking at? Why does he insist that we don't use an image to worship him? Well, it's because God the Father already has an image. His son, Jesus. And it's because God the Father wants us to look at the face of his dear son, Jesus, until God has us for images. So changed are we in Jesus so that he can show himself through us, his image to the entire creation. And friends, like every one of the father's 10 good words, 
when we realize the incredible plans that God has for us in Jesus, when we realize the incredible privilege it is to join Jesus in bringing about God's plans for the entire creation, well, then that makes us ready to say, doesn't it? Okay, Father, I don't always understand your ways. I don't understand always why you're telling us to do and not to do the things that you're saying. But look, if you say, Father, worship me with no images, then I'm listening. I'm your child. And the fact that you're jealous for my affections, for my allegiance, just makes me even more delighted to be your dear daughter, your dear son, in Jesus, your son. You know, we've studied John during Lent, and John's letters say some really fantastic things about this subject. John says these two things. He says, Behold, what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. And then he concludes his letter with these simple words. He says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. Isn't that something? May we, with the privilege of being God's dear children, treasure his face alone, and in Christ begin to show his face to the whole creation who needs a father that so loves the world the way that our father does. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, uh, we ask that you would shine the light of your face upon us in Jesus so convincingly and so tenderly and so powerfully that we would begin to reflect your glory and that we would know that there's no picture or statue or anything else that we could turn to in order to have a father-son, a father-daughter relationship with you. Convince us of your jealous affections and make us jealous for your own glory so that we reflect your glory in our lives. And above all, give us a sense of the delight it is to be your dear children in Jesus, your true son. We ask it in his name. Amen.